Hello, welcome back to another edition of the I'm Always Right Sports Podcast. I am your host, as always, the mouth of Michigan, Robin Dyke. With me today, I have an extremely special guest. Uh, he is the author of the brand new book called Champion Underdog, the story of the 1995 Northwestern Wildcats. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Tim Chapman. Tim, how are you doing today? I'm great, Rob. Thanks for having me on, bud. I am so excited. Um, just a little background for you guys here listening. Uh, Mr. Tim Chapman was actually my teacher at one point. I think he was my science teacher, if, I, if I'm trying to remember correctly. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah, maybe that. Um, you guys may have heard our interview with Mr. Adam Woolley a couple weeks ago. They actually are kind of cut from the same cloth a little bit here. So I'm really happy to have Tim on today. We're going to be talking about his new book, the inspiration behind the book. And we're also going to be talking about Tim's um, his coaching experiences at Lanphier High School, my alma mater, as well as his philosophies and, and what has shaped him as a coach as well. So lots to delve into today. Uh, Tim, first off, congratulations on the book. It's on Amazon for anybody who wants to buy it. It's like 25 bucks. So you can't get a better deal for that at any kind of book. So um, I, did a, I did a brief skim on the free Amazon, uh, the preview there, which I thought was extremely interesting. I love how you had the quarterback of the team with the forward and stuff like that. That was super cool. Um, just give me your, you know, what, what caused all of this ruckus? What, why, why Northwestern? Um, I, I, I understand why this particular season, it was a kind of a groundbreaking season for the program, but, but why Northwestern? What, why the, why the love all of a sudden? Well, like most Americans, Rob, I am in love with the underdog story and hence the name champion underdog back in 95, I was a huge Penn state football fan. I mean, to the point where, when they lost, I yeah. was pretty much unreachable for about 24 hours. I needed that time to kind of <laughs> gather myself and, and get back to reality. So right. I'm the same with the Lions. <laughs> when, when, <laughs> when, when Penn State, you know, they were coming off the undefeated Rose Bowl season in 1994. So 95, they were rebuilding a little bit. And going into the Northwestern game, uh, Penn State had already lost one, maybe two games. And so Northwestern was this team that was really taking the, the country by storm. They had had 25 straight losing seasons. I mean, I'm not talking about like, well, they missed a bowl. I'm talking like <laughs> four wins was a milestone right. achievement from 1972 to 1994. So when they beat Notre Dame, when they beat Michigan, they were coming in playing Penn State. And so this was a, a game where I kind of thought, this is, a, this is an interesting team because there are a lot of blue-collar type athletes who were overlooked by Big Ten schools. Mm -hmm. And as the game was going on, Northwestern really dominated the game. And so by halftime, I was kind of thinking to myself, you know what? This is the first time that I don't think I will be disappointed if Penn State loses because I respect the heck out of this program. Yeah. And lo and behold, Northwestern won. They went on to the Rose Bowl that year. And so that was kind of the groundbreaking um, – in for me to that program. And so the more I looked into that, I really appreciated that they were a, a program of guys who were truly working hard to, to make their success and to earn it. Mm -hmm. And you really didn't hear much about Northwestern players being in trouble with grades, with the law, with any sort right. of, um, you know, uh, immorals. And, right. and so that's kind of always stuck with me. So then fast forward to when, when all that turmoil went down in Happy Valley and um, the Jerry Sandusky stuff went down and Joe Paterno was let go. Um, I don't mind saying that I, 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 I cried when, when Joe Paterno was fired and, and he wasn't coaching that team anymore. And then when more of that stuff came out, it was just kind of like, I don't know that I can, and I don't right. know if I can associate with this program anymore. And so 
then the question was, well, who am I going to root for? And, and I am, apologize to all of your Michigan <laughs> listeners, but I just can't root for the Wolverines. And, and it was like, okay, well, I could root for Michigan State, but I, I drew back to 95 and I'm like, well, I really, really like this Northwestern program. And so how cool would it be? I've always been the type who likes to think outside the box and I don't like to be one of the sheep that just kind of says, well, right. I'm here surrounded by all these other fans. I'm just going to blend in. I like to be right. the one that stands out. And so mm -hmm what better way to stand out than to be a Michigan person rooting for Northwestern. And so, um, you know, this team in this season has always stuck with me. And so I kind of took it upon myself to, you know, I'm a historian by, by nature. And right. so I would go back and I would look at the box scores and I would look at the stats and I thought, okay, I'm going to keep this as, as a record for myself. And so mm -hmm. um, my family members and friends were like, why don't you just put it into a book? And, and lo and behold, there it went. It, it took traction, <laughs> and I was fortunate enough to get help from people within the program, uh, some of the players, the coaches who I never would have thought two years ago that I would have ever come in contact with. And here it is, you know, exchanging emails and text messages with them, and they're reaching right. out to me now and saying, hey, I'd like to order this many of the book. Great job. Um, you know, I'm really looking yeah. forward to it. So that's kind of how it all took off, Rob. That's so awesome. You know, that's that's the kind of like a, a, a faux dream of mine, right, is to be able to reach out to some of these people who really live those kinds of moments, right? The stuff that you watch on TV and you really, you know, take an appreciation for and it sticks with you throughout your life and you go, okay, well, what were they thinking, right? What is that What is that second level of detail that you really just go and be like, man, what was it like to be a part of that, right? And you mentioned some of the resume, right? They win the Big Ten Championship, first time they win, a, you know, a conference championship since like 1936, um, you know, the first winning season since like 1971 they lose to usc in the rose bowl but they get to the rose bowl which is a huge accomplishment in itself big 10 champions uh, pat fitzgerald was on that team was now the current head coach right so it all it all kind of comes full circle in some way shape or form um, but I mean, from, from, from your perspective, right, what was this process like, you know, you know, when you have an idea, you got all this stuff kind of just rambling around. I, I, I liken it to when I started the show, it's like, I talk sports all the time. Why not just put it out there and have people call me an idiot and, and roll with it. Right. So, you know, it's one of those things to where, you know, what, what were your thoughts? I mean, were you apprehensive about it? Were you like, is anybody actually even going to want to read this? Like, were, were there any, you know, challenges for you about getting this thing kind of kicked off outside of just, yeah, like, I'm a Northwestern guy now. This is a pivotal season in the program's history. Where do I go? Yeah, honestly, I was kind of wanting to just do it selfishly for me. I thought yeah. it would be cool to say, hey, I, I, I wrote a book about something that I'm passionate about. What I right. didn't understand was just how much work was going to go into it. And when yeah. I say work, I use that in air quotes because it, it's really a passion. It's a labor of love. And you know, the research and, and developing the book was not the, the difficult part. What took the most amount of time and labor was really the editing and, yeah. and going through. And, you know, at first it was kind of just, I thought, I, I can gather this stuff from secondary sources. And in talking to some people, they said, well, you want to build an audience. So you want to develop a platform. And so that's where I got on Twitter and I reached out to uh, the Northwestern Rivals site, which mm -hmm. I write for uh, today. Uh, wildcatreport.com. And so I, I had kind of reached out to their editor and said, do you mind if I write some pregame previews and some postgame analysis stuff? You don't even have to pay me. I just want to kind of get my name out there and I want right. to lend my voice to Northwestern football. And, right. and they said that they liked it and they said that they would, they would pay me. And I've been doing that for three years now and, and building a little bit of a Twitter following. And so mm -hmm. uh, that's what kind of took the most legwork, but honestly, that's been what has been the most fun. And through that, that's where I was able to connect with some of the players and some of the coaches and, you know, 
at first I kind of thought, you know, am I going to be starstruck? Am I going to, how yeah. am I going to do in these <laughs> interviews? But you, you, it really just kind of comes natural when you have a passion for it. Absolutely. And, and looking back, it's, I'm, I'm extremely glad that I took those steps and mm -hmm. I don't look at any of this as something that has been difficult or something that I would have done differently. Mm -hmm. um, if anything, I would have, I would have done even more. So, um, you know, no, that, that part was, was kind of, you know, exciting. And, and honestly, if anything, I, I wish I could have done it sooner, but in talking to people like Dave Rebson from the big 10 network and Gary Barnett, their coach from that year, they had great points and said, well, why don't you wait until the 2020 season? Cause that's the 25 year anniversary. So I was all right. set to have it ready to go by 2019. But they said, if you can hold off one year, that's probably going to be um, a better marketing tool. Yeah. And, and people are going to, you know, have a, a greater attachment to it. And, and it kind of worked out. And fortunately, um, even with the whole COVID situation, Northwestern won the Big Ten West. They gave Ohio State a run for their money in the Big Ten Championship. So this was actually a great season to do that. Whereas last right. year, had I rolled it out, a lot of Northwestern fans were a little bit soured with a, with a poor three and nine season. So. Right. Yeah. And it's funny that, you know, they make it to the big 10 championship this year. Once again, Pat Fitzgerald, who was a, a key contributor on that team playing linebacker for them and is now leading the charge now and has really built himself a really great program and is now even earning, you know, NFL coaching interest, you know, which is, it's just extremely impressive. You know, in a lot of times you don't hear about guys coming out of Northwestern in any fashion, whether it's player or coach coming in and be like, let's look at that guy. So a commendable job by him for sure to be building a program that, you know, I think, it's, it's hard, you know, for, from a, a guy who, who does root for Michigan, right? You always hear about the great recruits and stuff like that, but it never really comes together. Sorry, Michigan fans, it's the truth. Um, <laughs> but with Northwestern, right, you know, you guys, you know, I think the biggest challenge that you guys have had over the years is not being able to have that one guy, right? Like you, the great, I watched that entire Big Ten game, right before I reached out to you, and I, I was actually kind of felt a little inspired. I'm like, all right, you know, Tim's writing a book about it. They're playing really good football against a good Ohio State team. I'm like, let's just make this happen. So I felt a little inspired by just the way they played. Give me, give me your thoughts on on the status of the program, just as it is right now, right? We can talk about, you know, where they were at then, you know, and now. Patson is what, like 13th, 14th season at 14th coach, season as yeah. coach right now. So, um, and he's built a really good program, but it's been a bit up and down. Uh, talk to me about where you think they're at right now, because you're you're you actively have your finger on the pulse. Yeah, they, this is clearly the, the height of the Northwestern football program. I mean, they went to the Rose Bowl in 1949. They went there in 95. They were back-to-back -back Big Ten champs in 95-96. But then, you know, what you saw was what I think most people expected. Um, Coach Gary Barnett left the program, eventually went to Colorado. Uh, Randy Walker came in, did pretty well at the time. But there were kind of those peaks and valleys. And with right. Fitzgerald, there really has been more peaks than valleys. Last year was, as he called it, an anomaly. And he guaranteed that they would never be that bad under his watch. And hopefully, <laughs> it's going to be that way for a long time. I honestly right. think that he's a guy that will stay at Northwestern and not – I mean, to be honest, and this is not my own bias, he yeah. is a college coach. He is not a pro coach because he's an <laughs> emotional guy. Yeah. And, and you don't – rah-rah coaches are really not – the ones that are successful in the NFL. They're the right. CEO types. And he's not really a CEO type. He, right. he will admit that he is, he's been successful because he's uh, had great coaches around him and he's been able to get the right guys, not necessarily the best guys. So mm -hmm. while they're never really going to be competing with the Michigans and Ohio States and Wisconsin's in terms of recruiting, 
they are going to compete on the field because they take the right guy and they develop them the right way. And, you know, I think that that's kind of the lure of being a Northwestern football player is perpetually having that chip on your shoulder and wanting to prove that you are great. And a, and a perfect example is their cornerback, Greg Newsom this year, who mm-hmm. is going to lead for the NFL. He's the first player ever, I think, in Northwestern history to, at least under Fitzgerald watch, to, to leave early for the NFL. He led the Big Ten in pass breakups. He's a third-team All-American. Mm-hmm. And he's only a, a five foot eleven, you know, barely 200-pound corner, but the guy's a shutdown, lockdown guy. He's from the IMG Academy, uh, a, a good kid out of Chicago. So, you know, I think that speaks to the development that they, they can get at Northwestern. So I think as long as Fitzgerald stays, this program is going to continue to be near the, you know, at least the top half of the Big Ten. And, and people, Northwestern people, that is, yeah. have put out, you know, tidbits about how, um, you know, only Northwestern and Wisconsin have represented the, the Big Ten West multiple times in uh, the Big Ten championship era. And if you look back in the last 10 years, Northwestern, I think, has the fourth or fifth most wins of any Big Ten program in that time. So, uh, I mean, that speaks volumes to, to where this program has come, and it's really all been under Fitzgerald's watch. Um, you know, had they played a full season this year, this likely would have been their third 10-win season in the last five years. Uh, yeah. This is the uh, fifth bowl game in the last six years that they've gone to. So, I mean, clearly he's got them, Rolling. you know, moving in, in the right direction. So, you know, I feel really good about the program, and hopefully whether he stays long-term or whether he – passes the torch to somebody else. He's certainly setting a foundation and uh, you know, they're getting the donors that they need. I mean, that beautiful new complex that they put up a couple of years ago is, is bringing in recruits. And, you know, if you've ever been to the city of Chicago and the city of Evanston, which is just North side of Chicago, it's a beautiful area. It's a beautiful campus, although small and private. I mean, there's just a lot of um, there's a lot of gems to, to be found at Northwestern. For sure. I mean, and that's the key, right, is building that foundation. And, and, and I, you're the, I think, the fourth or fifth coach that we've had um, on, on the show here to kind of talk about building that culture, right, and building a foundation for, and, you know, we've, we, I've always kind of talked about it in terms of high school or even smaller term, uh, you know, college athletics, but talking, you know, Division One, you know, the, the glory of what it is, the Big Ten, you know, uh, it's it's ever more apparent and important that that foundation is built, right? And I feel like that's that's been the biggest issue with some of the local teams here in Michigan and Michigan State the last couple of years where either you don't really know what that is anymore, you don't know what the mission statement is, there's an expectation, but no one really knows how to get there, and it's just been a jumbled mess of, of whatever. And I think that's why you're seeing teams like Northwestern kind of come out and and start to rise above some of these teams that quote-unquote get the get the – get the five stars and the this and that because of the fact that they it's consistency and there's a level of expectation and you know walking into that building what the expectation is and the consistency from which starts at the top with Pat Fitzgerald it goes all the way down to the coaching staff and to the players and you're starting to see that 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 kind of make its way are you are you optimistic that we'll see Northwestern at any point in the next day you know three to five years in that final four picture or do you think that do you think that they'll always just kind of be outside of it due to the fact that because I think in that Ohio State game, right? You know, you played such great defense in the first half, you know, and then it kind of they slowly but surely the bend but don't break just starts to break a little bit at the end. And I just felt like at one point they were just out athlete, I guess. This is the best way of putting that, right? Where they just didn't have enough 
one or two guys offensively, defensively to make that big play to kind of put you over the top. Is that a perpetual like thing that you as a Northwestern fan live with where you just go, man, if we just had like this guy or a guy to take the top off uh, and, and really take us to the next level, or are you content being that, all right, we may not have the best athletes, but we're going to fight you to the death. Well, and, and, and you're exactly right, Rob. I, what it came down to is they, they lacked that, that killer on offense, right? Yeah, whether it's right. a quarterback, whether it's a, uh, a big-time receiver or big-time mm-hmm. running back. Northwestern, I think, will always be a defensive program, and they're going to play good defense. Even once Mike Hankowitz steps down this year, I'm confident they're going to have um, a, a hand-picked replacement who's going to carry on that torch. Mm-hmm. But until they get somebody who says, you know what? I want to be that four-star, five-star receiver or quarterback who's going to come and take Northwestern to the next level. I don't see, at least not in the next three to five years, I don't see Northwestern being somebody that challenges for, you know, a Big Ten title, let, let alone a, a college football playoff spot. Um, but if the college football playoffs expand to eight teams, mm-hmm. I think that Northwestern could be a program where maybe they're a runner-up in the Big Ten championship, but they run the the season yeah, right. undefeated and uh, can, can get in that way. Now, if you ask me 10, 20 years from now, if they continue on this trajectory, I mean, the college football landscape can t- continues to change. And, and I see them definitely making strides forward as opposed mm-hmm. to steps back. So, you know, but again, they're going to need to get that offensive. And, and it might be that they bring in an offensive coordinator, somebody who's innovative like an Urban Meyer was, or, you know, some of those other guys that, are, that you're seeing, you know, Lincoln Riley. And not necessarily at the head coaching spot, but at the offensive coordinator where he's going to attract some mm-hmm. of these bigger talents to say, you know what, Northwestern may not be that Ohio State or that Michigan, but um, this guy knows how to call plays and he's going to put up big numbers for me, so I'm going to go there. Right, yeah, you need that uh, Joe Brady for Ed Orgeron last year, right? right? Where Orgeron's an old school type of guy, but Brady's like, let's let's think outside the box here a little bit and utilize what we have talent wise. And now he's calling plays in the NFL, right? So right. it's it's one of, it's one of those things. Um, talk to me about your your coaching philosophy because as a big football guy, I've I've known you a long time, and you've always been a big football guy, big sports guy in general. Um, and, and you did you did play a part in the Lamphere's uh, turnaround this past season. You know, an undefeated regular season, you win the bronze division, you make a really great run in the playoffs. You know, you got a lot of guys, y'all, you guys got a lot of kids, some scholarships and some and some recognition that maybe wasn't there from the previous seasons. Um, how, how has this journey kind of shaped you as a coach, right? Because it's, it's impossible for you to to do all this research on, on all these players and talk to all these people, you know, that are, that are up there in the big 10 and however, and yet, you know, it it can't not affect you. So how was that, how has this process shaped you as a coach, whether that's football or anything, any other sport that maybe I'm not even aware that you're coaching right now? Yeah. You know, as a player, you know, I was fortunate enough to be on a team that was similar to Northwestern, discounted by everybody. I played at Bishop Bowley. Mm-hmm. And so we played back in the Catholic League when it was against Brother Rice, De La Salle, Divine Child, all the big boys, right? Right. And we ended up winning our division of the Catholic League and played against Orchard Lake St. Mary's in the prep bowl when they were sending like seven, eight guys to division <laughs> one schools. Right. Um, and unfortunately, we, we lost that game only by a touchdown. But you know, that kind of 
got in my mind, you know, this mindset of you're going to have to work for anything that you, that is worth having in life. Right. Right. And so I, I kind of carried that philosophy with me when I started coaching at Lamphere and, you know, Lamphere has always been, and probably always will be that blue collar, you know, we're going to look down on them because um, they may not have the quote unquote top athletes. They're not going to be looked at by division one schools, but I think that that was the essence of this team this year. And, and I'm going to give 99% of the credit to coach Masano. I mean, this is a guy who, when he called me and said, I'm going to be the coach. I want you with me. I said, you know, they couldn't have found a better guy because right. he's somebody who does not like to be discounted. And when he feels that somebody is disrespecting him or his team, his family, you know, it burns within him. And, and you saw that within his team and within his players. I mean, this was a group of scrappy guys, and he had a great staff, you know, guys like uh, Coach Woolley that you talked about, Coach Bellier, Coach Mullen, Coach Savell, Coach uh, Causey. I mean, all these guys are a, a makeup of, of good philosophical coaches who are more about the players than they are about the, the wins and losses and the accolades. And, you know, so in terms of my coaching philosophy, it's always been – I want you to be a smart player on the field and I want you to be a great person off the field, you know, and on the field too. And and so I think that's what kind of drew me to this story and, and what really attracted me to this program is because that's what Northwestern is. They're about taking good men and making or good boys and making them great men. And, and that's kind of always been my philosophy as a coach. And and that's the type of people that I've always put myself around, you know, with coach Sharon, when he was coaching there, coach Masano, coach Woolley, uh, working in his baseball program. And he's done a great job with, with Lanford baseball. Uh, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be around these type of coaches and these type of culture. And so I've, I've certainly gained an appreciation for the, the results that you get from doing it the right way and not trying to cut corners and not trying to focus so much on one or two star players and forgetting everybody else. Because remember, you got to play with 11 guys, not just right. one or two. So, Absolutely. Um, and that's, that's what I love about the Lamphere community. And that's what I love about, you know, the Northwestern community as well. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting that you, you are a part of two programs that are, you know, that really mirror each other in a lot of different ways. Right. And it's not always been about the wins and losses. And you hit on something where you said, it's not about the wins and losses it's about built. It's about the players. It's about building that team. It's about building that culture. And I think this is the first time in, in quite a while that I think from, from the Lamphere perspective, you can say, okay, there's some real building blocks here. And this is the first time I think that there's been some legitimate hope um, about this program and saying, okay, we, you know, we've kind of reshuffled the deck a little bit. We brought back the old squad <laughs> in, yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, I think half the coaches you just named were the same coaches when I was in high school. So you guys just kind of ran it back. Um, talk to me a little bit, you know, what, you know, cause you were there in both, both sides of it, right? You're this season, right. With coach Masano leading the charge. Uh, you were there when coach Sharon w- was the head coach, right. And now those roles have kind of been flipped and everything. Um, yeah. What is the biggest difference? Because we had some pretty good, talented teams during that run as well. Some really, really talented players. Um, what What is the biggest difference you've seen so far in the little time that you've seen with Coach Masano's tenure between Coach Sharon's? Because it's weird. It's the same coaching staff, 90, 90% of it, it. You know what I mean? And, and now we're kind of seeing the success come back again. Yeah. You know, and I – I'm great friends with coach Sharon and coach yeah. Masano and, and there's, there's a lot of similarities, but to be honest, Rob, I think this, uh, the adversity of the pandemic really okay. forced players to decide, is this worth it for me? And the guys that played all those guys that played this year, because there were some who said, you know what, it's not worth it. 
And then as we saw, as they started to see what was being built and the no-nonsense approach that Coach Masano took um, and the fact that, you know, he really did not play favorites and say, I don't care what you did last year. I don't care if you were part of the last bronze championship under Coach Glenn. This is a new year, and, and everyone's going to fight for it, and you're going to fight for it week to week. And, and being there at some of those practices, you really saw that. There was no favoritism. There was no, um, well, you're our starting quarterback, or you're our receiver, or you're a right. you know six-foot-three defensive lineman. It was I'm going to play the guys who are going to work and I'm going to play the guys that are going to hustle. And, you know, that's not to say that that didn't happen under coach Sharon's staff. Um, but I think it was just a little bit of a different culture. I think that, um, you know, again, this year you really saw the, the, the kids who wanted to play because they loved the game of football and not because they were looking to it as a stepping stool for something else. I mean, Absolutely. there were a lot of competitors on this year's team. Yes. Um, and, and, and there was a lot, there were a lot of them that, also play in Coach Woolley's baseball program, and, and he does a great job setting that foundation of you're going to work, and, and we're going to outsmart the other team. We're going to out-hustle the other team. Right. Um, and the same thing can be said about uh, Coach Hines' basketball program. There were some of those basketball players that saw success this year. So just really great character guys, and there were a lot of great character players in your class and classes around you and, and you know, on the teams that I, I was fortunate to coach when we went to the playoffs three straight years uh, right. under Coach Sharon. Right. Um, and I think also, uh, you know, playing in the bronze this year, it was they were able to to get a lot more early success and yeah. early success really builds a lot of momentum. And yeah. when I was coaching under Coach Sharon, sometimes we were starting off with some of the bigger players and and sometimes high school athletes don't respond well to early adversity. Right. right. Uh, sometimes they need that early success to, to kind of Yep. boast themselves and, and, and allow that momentum to, to roll. So, yeah. And, and that's, that's important too. I think sometimes people forget that, that if, if you get a win or two, even if it's against some teams that you know, you're going to beat up on regardless, right. It's nice to, because you get buy-in, right. It's, it's okay. The success is now on the field. It's not just uh, you guys yelling at us and telling us to take a lap. It's okay. There's a, there's a methodology behind it. There's a method behind the madness. And when you get a couple of those wins under the belt, it makes things a lot easier when you go into bigger games because you have the confidence, because you have the buy-in from the players to kind of say, no, no, we can do this. We can do this. We did it before. We did it last week. We did it the week before that. And I think you really saw that you guys were a freight train. I mean, I mean, the averaging less than eight points a game, I mean, is, is insane, you know, defensively, right? That's, that's ridiculous. I have not, I, as long as I've been around Lanford, it hasn't been a thing, right? Your, no. your, your scoring output was intense, right? You had 338 points for 78 points against, that's insane. That like, you yeah. don't, we don't, we haven't seen that in Lanfrey in a very long time. So I, and I, I know people can, you know, you can look back on certain players and say they were great players, but this team is really what the difference is. Talk to me about the importance. Uh, and we've hit on it a little bit here early in the conversation, but talk to me about the importance of, of, of culture, right? Because it is so important and, and you hear it, you can even see it now with Michigan, with Michigan State, even with the Lions, right? You've heard the Lions now say in about 35 different press conferences since they fired Matt Patricia that we need to find Lions culture. We don't need to replicate the Patriots culture. We don't need to replicate what Kansas City's doing. We need to find what are the Detroit Lions. And Chris Spielman has said it, Barry Sanders has said it, everyone said it, right? And, and you know, and Northwestern has done a great job. And Pat Fitzgerald, you, you know expectations walking into the building. And I think Coach Masano has established that just like Coach Wool has um i haven't personally met coach hines but being part of the basketball program before his tenure i know that that was something that was somewhat lacking a little bit before that um so you, you feel like when you when you're a lamphere athlete you have an expectation no matter what sport you are a part of 
Uh, talk to me about what, what you think that importance of culture and the expectations already being set, knowing before you sign up for this, this is the expectation and this is what you're going to be held accountable for. Uh, culture and chemistry are the two most important factors in any successful organization, whether it's sports, whether it's business. And if you don't have the right culture or the right chemistry, then, then you're doomed. It doesn't matter what sort of talent you have. And we've seen it in professional sports. We've seen it in college sports where if you've got a bunch of guys who feel entitled and feel that if, if something goes wrong, they can easily grab an excuse, um, then you're doomed. And, and I think that that's really what we saw with this year's football team at Lanphier is there's going to be no excuses. There is no entitlement. There's nothing is given to anybody and it's gone on a day by day basis. It's not, you know, what have you done for me lately? It's, it's, what are you going to do for me today? And I think that that's uh, paramount in any organization. Like I said, you've got to have those expectations and that foundation and you can't stray from it. And it's very difficult uh, as someone who's been an assistant coach, a coordinator, and a head coach uh, on a football team, it's very difficult to stick to that. I mean, it's, it's easy for anybody to say whatever they want, but to right. stick to it and to use that as we, like we said, a foundation, it's extremely difficult. But if you're surrounded by the right people, and if you have that firm belief and, and can put aside whatever anybody else is going to say, whatever doubt people have. I mean, just like the 95 Northwestern team did just like the 2020 Lanphier team did, because let's face it, uh, people within the Lanphier community probably rolled their eyes and said, Oh, here we go. Another new coach. Right. It's going to be <laughs> losing again. Exactly. Um, and, and coach Masano and his staff said, absolutely not. You know, we're, we're going to do it our way. And if you're with us, great. And if you join us later, great. But, we're not going to be any different now versus later, you know, whether you love us uh, later and you, and you don't believe in us now, we're going to be the same people who we are. And I think that's exactly what Northwestern did this year coming off of last year's bad season. And I think that that's what, you know, again, what Lions culture needs to be. And that's what the culture needs to be at, at Michigan as well. I mean, to throw yeah, that out there absolutely. for some of your Michigan fans, I think one of the problems has been, you know, Jim Harbaugh has tried to go by, what has been as opposed to what needs to be. Yep. And, and I think he's just gotten himself lost. And, and you know, is he going to get it back? Who knows? Uh, right. Hopefully for Michigan fans, he does or somebody does. But I think that that's really what has kind of been lost. And, and you know, going over to East Lansing for your Spartan listeners, yep. I think that's what Mel Tucker did a great job of this year is he said, okay, what do we need to do? We need to be a strong physical team and we need to beat Michigan. And they did both of those things this year. Right. Regardless of if they only won two games this year, uh, they beat the team that they were supposed to beat. And then they also beat the number eight Northwestern Wildcats. So those are two wins that Mel Tucker and the Spartan staff can hang their hats on mm -hmm. and, and really use as a, as a launching pad moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that's the key, right? Is, and I think you're dead on with Jim Harbaugh, right? And we talked about this in previous interviews with Coach Woolley as well, where he's like, you, you don't know, he doesn't know where he is anymore. It, you've lost that, you've lost that train. You're trying to bring guys from Alabama to run that offense. You're trying to do all these unique things and you go, but yeah, but you've lost the essence of who you are as a staff and as, as what, what, what are you? And right now you don't know what Michigan football is, unfortunately. Right. And I think Ohio state lost that a little, or not Ohio state, Michigan state lost that at the end of Mark D'Antonio's run where he kind of just went, 
all right, this is just kind of what we are. And he kind of regressed a little bit, much to the dismay of Michigan State fans. I know they don't like to hear that, but it's true. And, yeah. you know, when Mel Tucker coming in and saying, listen, we have a bad loss to Rutgers, you know, where we turn the ball over 45 times, and then you come right back and beat a, beat a not a very good Michigan team, but you beat it, you beat your rival, you know, yeah. that says a lot. And those are the building blocks you can build on for sure. Um, last couple things for you here. First off, do you want to be a head coach again? Like what? Are, what are your plans, coaching wise? Are you are you are you content doing this? And am, am I going to see thirty five more Northwestern books? Like what are the what's next for Tim Chapman? Well, the the biggest reason why I got out of coaching as intently as I had because coaching was my number one passion. But yeah. my biggest passion is my is my daughters, and sure. so um, as long as they are doing things that I can go and see, that's going to be my my number one priority. And you know reading a ton of coaching books, the, the most common thread I, I heard and, and I read from coaches was the moment you're not sure if it's your number one passion, get out. And so when I was coaching at Royal Oak High School, I came home one day and my oldest daughter said, daddy, I'm glad you're home. And I said, okay. And I kissed her and I said, okay, daddy's got to go to um, a, a, a function and I'll be right. back later. And she said, oh, you're going again. Yeah. And I can't tell you how much that ripped through me. And I said, right. you know what? This is not who I want to be. Yeah. And I've talked about this with Mr. McKenzie, uh, the AD at, at Lamphere. I talked yeah. about it with Coach Woolley. I talked about it with Coach Misano, Coach Sharon, who are all fathers. And they said, you know what? If, if that's where you're going, then get out. So honestly, I loved coaching. And I, you know, getting back into it this year, I re- the bug kind of bit me. <laughs> but then I would go back and, you know, there were a couple games where I told Coach Masano, I said, I can't be there because I'm going to be with my girls this weekend. And, and that's my joy. So, right. um, you know, I, I would love to be a, uh, a consultant or an assistant in any role that I can. Yeah. But until my girls are, are gone off to college and I can't <laughs> see them as, as frequently, this is where I want to be. And, and that's where I think, you know, writing, this is, this is how I get my football fix. And to be honest, getting out of coaching has allowed me to be a football fan again, the way that I want to be. I mean, my Saturdays are chock full of that TV or three TVs going on at once. And I'm a college football analyst and that's what I love. So, yeah, that's, that's awesome for sure. You know, just thought I'd ask, you know, you never know, just right. real quick, dude, just something real fun here. Who do you think the new Lions head coach is going to be before, before we sign off here? Well, I'm I know that they're going to tell you to call your shot right now. We do a, we do a segment on the show <laughs> where we talk about something that's so far away, right? And it says, okay, call your shot right now. If you had to, if you had to put your money on somebody, who's it going to be? I'm not going to ask you for GMs because that's impossible. <laughs> yeah, no, I, well, with, uh, with Chris Spielman coming into the organization, I've got to think it's going to be somebody that he is in, you know, conjunction with and you know to be honest Rob I don't follow the NFL nearly as much as I do at the college ranks Mm. I think for the for the Lions to be successful they're gonna have to get somebody who's done it in the NFL whether it's as a coordinator or whether it's um you know somebody who is uh you know had their hand in the NFL culture for a while yeah um so I think you know they've already tried the Patriots. So maybe going away from there, but, you <laughs> yeah. know, going into somewhere like maybe, you know, trying to tap into the green Bay Packers organization um, or, you know, even Kansas city. And, and I know that uh, their offensive coordinator, Mike Kafka, who's a Northwestern guy mm-hmm. um, is, is kind of a hot name. I'm not saying that he should be it. I've heard that Fitzgerald is somebody that they want to interview. And like I said earlier in the show, I don't think that he would be a good fit in the NFL ranks. And as somebody who loves coach Fitzgerald and who loves the lions, I don't wish that upon him right now. I don't think that it's a good situation to get into. Um, 
So I, I, I hate to skirt this, Rob, but I, yeah. I don't know that I have an actual name. Hmm. But like I said, if I could give any suggestion or uh, recommendation to the Detroit Lions, who I am a fan of, um, I would say go into the NFL ranks and go with somebody who, who's knowledgeable, but also who, who is that CEO mentality. Right. Yeah, who can delegate. Um, somebody who can who can organize and delegate and is not afraid of star power, but also um, can kind of let just let his uh, his staff, you know, right. run the show and run it effectively. Yeah, that's the important thing, I think, in, in my opinion, too, is it's not necessarily who comes in as head coach it's who he brings with him. And it's and it's it's, it's the staff around him. Right. And we've seen that in every successful organization. Like you can't tell me one thing Pete Carroll does well as a head, as a coach, right? Like no one can tell me, Oh, Pete Carroll's calling plays. He ain't calling plays. He's chewing gum and he's clapping on the sidelines, but he's got good coordinators around him and he's got a good coaching staff and he lets them do their thing. Right. right. So uh, very interesting for sure. Well, Tim, that's going to be it. Um, I'd love to have you on the show again, maybe when we get the next season going or anything yeah. like that, he can, bust my balls about about northwestern beat michigan or something <laughs> like that but um that's going to be it stay on the line for me for just a second but that's sure. going to be it with our interview with tim chapman once again buy his book champion underdog it's on amazon is it anywhere else that i'm not seeing it on is it amazon is like the primary location right now it's yeah right now it's just amazon we're working on getting it into local bookstores okay. um, but anybody who who wants uh who wants a copy um you know, if they want a, a personalized message or if they want something else, um, feel free to, to contact me. Um, I can have you send out the, the email address uh, if they want, Rob, or they can follow me on Twitter. I'm at champion underscore lit. Um, so feel free to follow me on there and, and DM me and, and, you know, I'd love to get the book out as, as, as much as possible. Absolutely. No, it's going to be, it's a great book. Uh, just reading the few co first couple pages, right? If you are a Northwestern fan, it's a diehard. If you're a coach, you're definitely going to want to read it. And if you're a fan of the underdog story, like so many of us are, you're definitely going to want to take a read at it as well. And I guarantee you, you're going to you're going to not only excite the existing Northwestern fans, but you're definitely going to grab some people with this book for sure. Just to get people back into that mode again. I think it's, I think it's extremely important. So once again, thank you so, so much for joining the show. I can't tell you what an honor it is for me to talk to a former teacher, former mentor like yourself. So extremely honored and humbled to, that you'd be on the show and uh, best of luck with the book. Appreciate it, Rob. I'd love to come back anytime. Sports is my, is my gig. So uh, especially <laughs> football. So feel free awesome. to reach out. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. And welcome back to part two. Uh, we are now joined by the Merck Zone himself, Mike Merkel. He is here. Thank you once again, Mr. Tim Chapman, uh, for joining us today. We really do appreciate it. Um, you know, can't say enough good things about him. Go buy his book, Champion Underdog, the story of the 1995 Big Ten champion, Northwestern Wildcat team. Um, I'm sure it's going to do great. You can find it on Amazon. So if you're looking for a last-minute holiday gift, maybe a gift to start the new year, no better way than getting your favorite sports fan uh, a great book. And while you're at it, go to belowthecollar.com and get your favorite podcast shirt from the I'm Always Right Sports Podcast official store. So go ahead and grab that as well while you're doing your online shopping for that person that you just forgot to get a Christmas gift for. <laughs> I have a couple of delayed ones. So delayed it's fine. ones? There you go. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> All right, but Mike, let's go. Let's jump right back in here and do what we do best. We've got we got some big things on the slate today. We're going to talk the two college football uh, playoff games. Obviously, Alabama getting the win over Notre Dame, and the big shocker to us, at least, Clemson getting dog smacked uh, by Ohio State. Dog big props, walks. yeah, no, uh, just overall obliterated. Um, we're going to we're going to preview that matchup, right? Talk about what happened. Talk about what went wrong. All that good stuff. And then we're also going to be talking some big Lions news today. 
Um, some big news coming out over the weekend in regards to the head or not to the head coaching search, but to the GM search for the Detroit Lions and why if you are a Detroit Lions fan, I think you should be pretty happy with what the way things are progressing. We're going to be talking about that a little bit. We're not going to be talking too much. Uh, I know there's some rumors out there about some other head coaching positions and who's going where. We're going to wait for that until after everybody is fired. Um, just because we want to make sure that we have all the information. So Adam Gase, the Doug Marones of the world, they're probably gone, but they're not gone yet as of this recording. So we don't want to we don't want to get ahead of ourselves and who are the Jets going to hire, who are the Jags going to hire, who is, you know, name a team. You know what I mean? I, we all know that, the, you know, Doug Peterson, he's probably staying with Philadelphia, right, so we can cross that one off. But uh, So we're going to wait on that just a little bit, talk about potential good fits there, as well as good fits for your Detroit Lions as we kind of get towards the end of the regular season of this miserable football year if you're a Detroit fan. Good God. Um, but we're, we're going to wait on that. So so bear with us on that. We want to get you guys as much information as possible before we kind of run down that list. But let's jump into the college football here. We previewed last week the two big games, Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State. We had Alabama and Clemson going in. We both thought there was potential for blowouts and both. We were right on that. <laughs> That's so sad. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, let's talk Alabama Notre Dame first because that one was a little bit more of a layup, I think, for a lot of yeah. people. Sorry, Notre Dame fans. It just kind of is what it is. Um, what did you see out of Bama? You know, are you shocked by anything that they did? I, I was surprised as well as their defense played, quite mm-hmm. frankly. Uh, I know Notre Dame scored later in the game to kind of make it look a little bit closer, but I mean, I think their first three drives Alabama scored, right? It was twenty-one yeah, nothing like or twenty-one mm-hmm. seven, um, really quickly, right? You know, Devontae Smith, phenomenal, right? Mac Jones really coming into his own here, mm-hmm. really making a case to be pushing that fringe first, second round guy, yeah. um, probably the number four quarterback right now, at least on my board, if, if yeah. you're looking draft wise, um, if we're looking at it. You know, Lawrence, and then, in my opinion, Zach Wilson, then Justin Fields, and then him. And then if you want to throw Trey Lance in there for the, you know, the, the ceiling, go for it. Yeah. Um, what are your, give me your thoughts on Bama, what the, how this game played out. Are we, sh- I wasn't really shocked by the way this game went down. No, I wasn't either. Um, you could just tell that Notre Dame didn't have the passing attack no. to commend mm-hmm. what Alabama was doing defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, if it came down to you could only do running plays, mm-hmm. uh, Notre Dame would have a very strong chance of winning that game. Absolutely. But I think when it came to, all right, you're in third and even medium. It wasn't even like third and longs. You were no. like third and like fives and sixes. Right. And it was just like you just can't throw it for that first down. Right. And it's not because of Ian Book. I think Ian Book played well. I just yeah. think the receivers don't get the separation and everything. And so they relied too much on the run, took a lot of time off. Um, it was twenty-one to seven. I thought it was going to be a lot more mm-hmm. going into halftime, but it was mm-hmm. only twenty-one to seven. Right. And Notre Dame had the ball going driving, right. and then he threw a very crucial interception, and yep. then Alabama went to score. If he would have floated that ball rather than trying to bullet it, yeah, he like if it was probably that, a touchdown. If they would have had a little to. bit better communication, because I remember watching that play, and I go, "That was a boomer bust play for this game." Because yeah. if if he if Book just pulls a Stafford or a Rodgers and just points and tells him go, yeah, right, he's beat him. He's yeah. got the defender beat. He just floats it over. That's an easy touchdown, and now you got a ball game. But because he was on the run and he just tried to bullet it, and I'm like, oh, dude, like you yeah. can't, you can't short chain, overthrow him. Don't, mm-hmm. don't underthrow him. So yeah, so that was kind of the play of the game that kind of lost it for them. Yeah, but Alabama was just too overwhelming for what Notre Dame had as a team. But I don't think they played necessarily bad. Mm-mm. I think defensively they were like they contained everyone but Devontae Smith as best they could. Right. Um. They just. He's just so good. The that problem you can't, too, you know, I, the I, talent there. I think especially in the first quarter and a half or so, and I think Brian Kelly even mentioned this going into halftime. He's like, 
we, like we just felt like we were overwhelmed by the moment a little mm-hmm. bit, and there had some like that first touchdown by Devontae Smith that could have easily been avoided. Yeah. You used the sideline, you know what I mean. So they had some crucial missed tackles in that game mm-hmm. where I was like, "What is like? What are you guys doing? Like you're here for a reason, yeah. you know? I know no one's giving you a shot. I get it, but man, like help yourselves out a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Especially because your offense didn't come out to the blazing side that you really needed. You know, they take the ball first. I thought, okay. This is going to be a big statement drive here. They go down the field and score. We got a ball game. If not, oh boy. Mm-hmm. And, and it was 14 nothing really quickly. And even the commentators are like, if Notre Dame doesn't score on the following possession, this game's probably over. Because yeah. you have shown no propensity to stop them mm-hmm. whatsoever. So um, I thought there was a better game than... I thought they had a better showing than they had last time in the college football playoff. And I thought oh, it was yeah. definitely a better game from the last national championship game when yes. they played Bama. Um, I just didn't think they had enough... They, they, once again, man, it's hard, but it, college football sometimes just comes down to who's got more playmakers. Yeah. I honestly think now, watching this game, I, yeah. I, I kind of feel bad. I think Oklahoma actually could have had a decent shot yeah. in this game more than Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. I, I get why you put Notre Dame in there, yeah. but man, I think Oklahoma, after watching them play Florida, yeah, where who they really just, competed, yeah, yeah. and then Oklahoma just walked right over Florida in every right. ounce of the way, right. I just go, man... Oklahoma maybe could have at least could have a shot had a little shootout kind of game and had a shot at it, but it is what it is. Notre Dame uh, came up just a little bit short, and Alabama moves on. Yeah, no, no big surprise here. Let's talk to the other one, the big upset. You know, so much trash talk coming into this, right? Dabo giving them the number eleven team and everything else like that. Justin Fields having the day of his life, and that's and we we talked about it last week, right? Where we said. If this game is going to go Ohio State's way, Justin Fields needs to play the best game of his life. And he did, right? Six touchdowns. I know he had the pick, um, but he was phenomenal. You know, big rib injury earlier on in the game, coming in clutch. He really missed Olave in the biggest of ways. Um, You know, Trevor Lawrence, I mean, you look at Trevor's stat line on an NFL day, that's a good day. And it just doesn't, you know, he wasn't on the field, you know. So, first, address to me... The comparison, because I know this has already begun the the talk of okay, well, what does that do for Justin Fields and his draft stock compared to Trevor Lawrence? I don't. I think we're both in lockstep by saying, for us, it doesn't do anything as far as who's the number one, who's Uh the number two, who's the number three. But does it make the argument at all any different that the fact that Fields gets the win over Lawrence? I know he doesn't play defense. I get it, but people want this kind of content, so let's (laughs) talk about it anyway. What does it do for you from a Justin Fields perspective? Of okay. Does that does that put him at your number two quarterback? Does that put him, you know, in the conversation with the for the Jags at number one now? Especially yeah. if he goes out and throws four touchdowns against Alabama on Monday night. Um. Well, no. <laughs> um, that that's was great. That's the short answer. That was great. Um, the long answer is I think the problem that Trevor Lawrence has, and we talked about it even last year or the year before, yeah. is once as a freshman, if you win the national championship as a freshman, you kind of go. What else can I do for the next two years right. except win another one, which is not very easy to motivate yourself to do because you've already won the one. Right. Like, yeah, you go into college football and you go, I want to win the national championship. Mm-hmm. Sure, everyone does. <laughs> Check. And he checked that <laughs> off. He went undefeated. He, right. beat out, he blew out Alabama all in his first year, and he went. And he's a consensus number one pick mm-hmm. for literally the next three years. And he goes, so what else do I have? Right. So I think it was more of Justin Fields' trying to prove that he's on that Stepped level. Up in the biggest way. Yeah, sure. where Trevor Lawrence is kind of like, I'm already here and mm-hmm. aren't I already do you, think Clemson, do you think Clemson underestimated Ohio State a little bit in this game? I I think it was more Ohio State 
wanted it way more. Yeah. Like, I think... They I rose think, to the challenge in a big way. I think, looked, uh, like a totally I think Clemson, because they've been there five times already, for Clemson, it's kind of like, we've kind of been here before, you know, mm-hmm. it's one of those, like, mm-hmm. I think they trusted too much in Trevor that it was like, all right, we can go down 28-21 and Trevor's just going to bring us back. Mm-hmm. So, like, they weren't playing with the urgency of, right. we have to make sure we're in the game. Right. Like, unlike Notre Dame, where Notre Dame's like, we're down 21-7, we have to yeah, we work, lose. work, work, because right. we're going to go behind. It's like, if you're down 28, the game got to 42-21. to I was saying, going, you can't count Trevor Lawrence out yet. Yeah, like, right. there's still a chance that he could pull this out in the third quarter. Right. And I was like, it's not over yet. But like, the defense couldn't get a stop. The defense couldn't get any stops. No. I think we underestimated, I think everyone in the world underestimated yes. Ohio State only having to play six games and having basically a month off before this yeah. game, where Olave's like, man, I have the freshest legs I've ever had in this right, season right. playing in this team, where Clemson's played 12 games this season, yeah. and they they were beat up. Well, Ohio State really just had to survive, right? They yeah. just had to survive against Indiana. They had to survive against Northwestern, North you know, and basically just get to this point. And then, you know, and my buddy Nick Graves, big shout-out to Nick. He's a big Ohio State guy, went to Ohio State, and he's like, we have missing 22 players on our team. You know what I mean? And yeah. I'm like... And I don't think I, I put as much credence into that as I think we should have, right? And I think you're right. The fact that we go into this game, Notre, you know, Clemson had basically a full slate, right? Played Notre Dame twice, you know, with mixed results there. Coming off a big win against them just to get to the ACC championship in the mm-hmm. first place. Um, but credit Ohio State and Ryan Day's game plan, right? It was simple. It's We're going to keep him off the field, mm-hmm. you know? Um, going in, I think they had the set. I thought Clemson probably had the best defense in the, out of the four. Um, I mean, that's not even statistically correct, but I thought the way they were playing. Um, but they were able, you know, uh, Sermon ha- is all of a sudden the best back ever. Well, yeah. I think that tends to end the ironicness of Spolsky, the best defense player right in the middle of the field, right. gets out with the targeting call on Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. And then at that moment, they said, oh, so now we can just run all over yeah, the middle right. of the field because yeah, exactly. he's was, not there anymore. Yeah. And they literally just ran and ran and ran all over them because and, they have no yeah, Which is ball control, knowing full well that they can still be explosive, knowing yeah. that they still have the ability to pop a big play literally at any moment in time. It was a yeah. great game plan all it the was. way around by Ryan. Day and the Ohio State coaching staff. I mean, they executed to the best of their ability, and, and that's the way to beat Clemson, right? Is ball control and keeping and not only, not only did they have ball control though, they scored. Like that's the thing. It's not like they were they ran the ball, they get down, and then Clemson holds and they kick a field goal. No, no. There was you know uh field had six touchdowns in this game, mm-hmm. right? And you know, Trevor Lawrence is not on the field. You can't score if your offense isn't on the field. You know what I mean? And then once you get to that point where you're down two scores, now it's like, oh, we have to score. So when you don't, you're like, oh, damn. You know what I mean? So there, it was it was truly a great game plan, all three phases by Ohio State. Yeah, so to long answer your yeah. question, Trevor Lawrence is still clearly the number one. Yeah. But I think Justin Fields played himself, to most people, the clear number two. Yeah. So I think if you're a Lions fan, you're very happy about that because right. – the odds are Jags will take him at number one, Trevor Lawrence at number one, or I guess they could take Fields at number two, which means Trevor Lawrence would be the easy pick at number two or whatever. Yeah, one of those insane. two will go one, two, in whatever order right. probably, and then Zach Wilson has a very good chance of falling right, right into your laps if, if you if they if, want him. Yeah, if you're a quarterback, right? So, um, yeah, no, I, this was a coming out day for, for Justin. This is the game that I wanted to see last year from him, right? I thought he played well last year against yeah. Clemson, but I also felt like at times he was lost. This was a day where he stood there and went, no, I'm, I'm going to come in, I'm going to take this, and, and we're going to go win this game, mm-hmm. right? It was extremely impressive. It's the first time I've really seen Ohio State quarterback do that, and that's 
you know, whether this is fair or not, still why I am a little nervous if you are a Lions guy and you want Justin Fields is because you look at the, the track record of the last top several Ohio State quarterbacks, it's all been pretty terrible. I mean, yeah. you go to JT Barrett, awful. Dwayne Haskins, free agent now, right? First round pick, couldn't do anything right. Um, Cardell Jones wins them a national championship. Nope, not a thing. Troy Smith, if you want to go all the way back to those times, couldn't get it done, right? And you just look at it and go, man, there's just there's a lot of guys out there, but none of them are playing very well. Yeah. <laughs> or not in the league anymore or, or whatever. So a little scary, but big ups to Justin Fields, big ups to Ohio State for getting that. Um, let's talk about this matchup now, though. Ohio State, Alabama. I'm pretty sure the Vegas line's got to be, what, at least 10... Seven and a half. Seven and a half, really. Okay. Alabama, yeah. Um, I think it's because of how dominant Ohio State was. Looks right. It wasn't like a right. two point game mm-hmm. or something. It was mm-hmm. like a legit like blowout. So yeah. They were like, I mean, give me, give me, <laughs> give me your thoughts on this game, Mike. I mean, this is two teams that have never have not looked better, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Alabama defense looked pretty darn good, right? Yeah. But this is a totally different animal in Ohio State's offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, give me your thoughts. Yeah, so I said going into the Clemson-Ohio State game that I was going to take the winner of that game, mm-hmm. and I thought it would be Clemson, so I was going to take Clemson. Yeah. But I'm taking Ohio State in this game yeah. against Alabama. I think um, what Notre Dame did well was run the ball, mm-hmm. and you see Ohio State can run the ball, but yeah. Ohio State can also take you off the top, yeah. and I think that dual threat mm-hmm. is going to kind of overwhelm mm-hmm. the um, the defense of Alabama, and on the verse side, I think Alabama um, is going to do a lot on Ohio State's defense, but yeah. I think that you, play, you just played the best quarterback in college football for Ohio State in mm-hmm. Trevor Lawrence, mm-hmm. so I think you're going to play a very good offense, but I think it's very manageable and serviceable. Well, I think, yeah. against, well so. I think you have enough firepower, unlike Notre Dame, to actually keep up and score yes. with them. That's, right? that's yeah, what right. I mean. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, for sure. And you look at it and you go, okay, you can be balanced. You know, Ohio State's defense, like we said last week, right? You can't, I mean, outside of Sean Way, the corner, you can't name a guy unless you're like a real, like, good lord a really big Ohio State football fan so you can't name three four guys off the top like you were able to last year right you can't yeah. name Chase Young and Okuda and you know the guy who went to Oakland I don't remember his name either but um so you're looking at it and you go okay what do they have right but what they do have they just have football players and they have serviceable really highly athletic football guys right and so being able to stop them um is going to be is going to be huge right and, and it's I, I think it's going to come down really to you know, who makes that first mistake, mm-hmm. right? I know it's so cliche to say, but you look at this Notre Dame game and you go, okay, Notre Dame, 21-7, you're kind of in it. You have ball, you know, you're going to get the ball, right? Let's see what happens. They, You know, that first drive in the second half, and they throw an interception. And then and then every kind of thing gets going out of control because then Alabama scores. Now you're down three scores. You have to run the ball still. Ain't, ain't going to happen, mm-hmm. right? Um, in this game... You know, I think it's really going to come down to who makes that first turnover and who and, and what that momentum swing leads to, right? Mm-hmm. And it's going to be who scores more touchdowns over field goals, who bends but doesn't break. I think that the the biggest source of concern if you're an Alabama guy is your defense is clearly out of the four, right? Your offense, your defense, offense, defense is clearly the worst group out of the four, right? I would say Alabama's got the best offense, then it's Ohio State's offense, then it's Ohio State's defense, and then Alabama's defense. Yeah. So you're like... Well, boy, you know, so where where are you at with that, right? It's being able to control what you can control. And I think maybe, honestly, maybe you do try and stop the run, right? And maybe Bama doesn't maybe try and go as explosive and takes – because they have Najee Harris too. So this is going to be a true battle of 
star power galore mm. if if you are a fan of that kind of you know yeah. team. So I don't expect a lot of stops in this game, quite frankly. Not a lot. Um, I'm expecting a 49-42 kind of game. I know that's a weird thing to say, be like yeah. two best teams in college football, but I could see kind of that realm of yeah. it's either gonna be that or I'm gonna look like a total idiot and it's gonna be like 13-10. It's gonna be one of those games <laughs> yeah. for me. But yeah. give me a score. You got Ohio State winning. What's the score? Uh 35-31. 35-31. Alright, I like that. Someone um, kicks a field goal and yeah. the other team goes right and Ohio State goes right down, scores wins. Okay. Alright, I'm gonna take I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Alabama still takes it. Okay. But I'm gonna say it's gonna be um I'm gonna say 42-38. Okay. 42-38 is gonna be my final. Um, more touchdown added on. Yeah, I just, I just think that the, I think there's gonna be a lot of scoring in this game. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, it's one of those things where I, I, I'm really interested. This, the first quarter is gonna be so interesting because it's yeah. either gonna be really slow or it's gonna be 14-14. <laughs> <laughs> so very interesting, nonetheless. We'll talk about that obviously not next week's show because it's the following Monday, but the following show after that. So stay tuned for that. All right, let's talk some Lions news here. Some huge news, honestly. It's. You know, it's it's just a report. It's just some rumors, but I think it's I think it's very um, apropos to be talking about this right now. The Lions have been linked, um, are reportedly uh, trying to make a big move potentially in trying to lure John Schneider, the current general manager of the Seattle Seahawks, um, to come here to be the GM. Now, the first question I know people are going to ask is, how is that possible? Well, because technically, in the way that Seattle has their organizational structure. Pete Carroll, the head coach, makes the final call on roster and personnel decisions, meaning that Schneider wants to draft A, Pete Carroll wants to draft B, you're going with B. <laughs> it's just how it is, right? Um, so because of that, technically John Schneider can be hired by the Detroit Lions without any real issues here. As far as it's basically by giving him full control of per- football decisions, that's how that works. So yes. They can do it. Yes, it's the ability to hire him sooner and later, basically as soon as Seattle gets knocked out of the playoffs or the Super Bowl or wherever they're going to be at. To you know, stroke Mike's ego a little bit. <laughs> yeah. um, give me your thoughts, Mike, on this. Uh, on the surface, it's it's fantastic, and I have my reasons why. Even if it doesn't come to fruition, it's a great it's a great sign for this process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to talk about another guy here that's a lot less likely. Um, but give me your give me a percentage. For you, of, of how likely this is to happen, and your initial thoughts of this report. It came out this morning, so yeah. we're right on top of this. Um, yeah, I mean, it would be in, very interesting to say the least. I'm not a big fan of the Seattle draft process. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you definitely got to have a lot of faith. Yeah, there's doing. a lot of faith that goes into <laughs> the John Snyder, Pete Carroll draft process right. because Patrick Queen's sitting right there, and they go, you know, we like Jordan Brooks more. We go. Yeah. All right. Sure, all right. I guess we'll have to roll with it. So, um, but yeah, I think I think it would be very interesting because I do like the culture that Seattle does bring, mm-hmm. and so if he can bring some of that in, I I wouldn't give it a very high chance at all that it happens. It'd okay. be more like a fifteen percent chance it really? actually happens. Really? Yeah, he's, on a, he's only got one year left on his contract. Pete Carroll yeah. has been extended, yeah. and they also have guys like Trent Kirchner, who's a VP of player personnel they're kind of in the wings and he was a guy the Lions actually interviewed a couple years ago before they hired Bob Quinn so they do have some guys in the organization that could be potentially ready to take over is that not no I I mean it doesn't impact because I think Pete Carroll and John work so well together oh yeah they're they're lockstep yeah so I think that if you if you ever get to the point where you're so lockstep with your GM Mm -hmm. I think it's like one of those like we cannot lose Mm -hmm. this guy because it's working obviously as their playoff team every year so um 
I wouldn't give it a very high chance it happens, but if it did happen, I'd be very, very excited. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a very interesting because I, I think a lot of times, you know, people look at it and go, okay, you want to rock it the Patriots, right? You got six Super Bowls in 15 years, you know, blah, 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 whatever. Um, but this is the kind of thing that gets me excited because, you know, Seattle's done it a different way and they've done it in a myriad of different ways, right? I, I get it. They fell ass backwards into Russell Wilson. I get it. Um, but outside of that, they drafted the Legion of Boom, successfully tore it down, and are still competitive to this day, right? You know, and their defense is actually finally starting to come around a little bit, right? You're starting to see, you know, some gelling happen. I think Seattle's playing really good football right now, which is kind of honestly a deterrent the last couple of years because it's usually they start really hot and then they kind of fizzle out towards mm-hmm. the end. I'm actually feeling the opposite, where they were up, then they went down, and now they're kind of back on the upswing, which is exciting. Um, if you're a Seattle fan, the other guy I want to kind of talk about here, and this is the 0.01% chance happening, but I do think it's relevant to, and I'll explain why in a second, Kevin Colbert, the GM out of Pittsburgh, right? He's basically on one year contracts continuously. Um, the Lions are very interested apparently in pursuing him as well. Now I've also heard reports that it's basically a, a pretty much a layup that he's going to stay in Pittsburgh. He is, fr- he's been in Detroit at one point. He was an executive here mm-hmm. before he went to Pittsburgh he is responsible for what you're seeing in the Pittsburgh team right now as well. Um, give me your, I mean, that's a moonshot for me. That was a guy that I kind of circled and said, wow, if they could get him in here to bring in the uh, the way Pittsburgh scouts, the way Pittsburgh drafts, the way mm-hmm. Pittsburgh attacks agency or lacks. You know, I mean, I the the common denominator between both John Schneider, the way Seattle does things, and the way Pittsburgh does, is, I feel that. They really make when they make a splash move. I really feel like it's a splash move for the right reasons. Like trading for Minka Fitzpatrick was a transformative piece for their defense, right? Mm-hmm. Jamal Adams, especially second half of the year, has really started to come on for them, right? And has been a lot better than the first half of the mm-hmm. year. You know, even even trades like for Quandre Diggs. I know it maybe didn't look on the surface, but now he's playing some really good football. So moves like that where they make trades to go, no, no, this is going to be an impactful trade, right? I get it, you're giving away a first round pick, but man. We really could be building something great here. Um, thoughts on Kevin Colbert coming in? I I'm only want to touch on just because I know there's like literally it had to rain cats and dogs for him to come here, and I yeah. probably have a small stroke if he did. But it's worth mentioning that they're even that they are looking at him, identifying him, and going, "Wow, if we can somehow bring the way of Pittsburgh Steelers football that's been good for literally 30 years and come and get it here, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a really big shift in culture." Yeah, um, I mean that would be very uh, cool. But as you said, it's. Yeah like 0.01% chance it happens. So, so it's, tell it's, me there's a chance. Yeah, as long as there's a chance, anything can happen. But, you know, it, it's probably not going to happen. No. So I, w- I wouldn't get the hopes up. But no. if it does, the defense be, might be a little better. I'd be very excited. I'd be very excited for that. Uh, shot, you know? um, for them. But um, the reason why I wanted to bring these names up, right, and once again, I'm not going to talk head coaching positions just yet. I know they yeah. just hired, uh, they just interviewed Marvin Lewis, former Cincinnati Bengals head coach, which inspires no confidence in anybody whatsoever. But they're doing their due diligence nonetheless. Um, but the reason why I wanted to kind of hit on this a little bit is because when you look at this, right, they've had like seven, I mean, let's just go down the list, right? Lance Newark, they've interviewed Kyle O'Brien. I think they interviewed one more person that was internal here. Then they've also interviewed Scott Pioli, former GM head, GM of Kansas City, uh, player personnel guy from New England. They've interviewed Thomas Dimitrov, the guy who's responsible for basically building that Super Bowl team in Atlanta. They've interviewed uh, Louis Riddick from ESPN, formerly from the Philadelphia Eagles as a player personnel guy. Um and they've interviewed uh, Rick Smith, the former GM of the te- Houston Texans. So 
and and now that we're getting reports that they are looking at John Schneider and Kevin Colbert to a lesser degree and willing to make that move, it tells me a couple things, and it, and it makes me excited. Is number one, they're 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 identifying what is working in the NFL, right? What are they? What are these teams doing that we're not, right? What are they doing? Because you can look at Seattle's roster. I get it. They have Russell Wilson. I get that. But take that out of it for just a second. What they have been able to do is identify quality talent in later rounds. DK Metcalf falling to them in rounds two or three. Tyler Lockett coming in later on. Even Rashad Penny, who people kind of scratch their head at, now is coming in as a Chris Carson, a later round pick. They drafted the whole Legion of Boom outside of Earl Thomas in later rounds. So their ability to identify talent, especially later on, and get the most value out of these picks, I think is extremely important. Um, But also just shoot for the moon. Honestly, that that to me inspires some confidence. The fact that they've gone through seven, eight interviews now with different candidates, and are are now uh, now we're getting reports that they're identifying guys like John Schneider and Kevin Colbert to come in. That's huge because that to me signals to ownership like you know what? No, this is not going to be one of those. Well, let's just wing it and see. No, no, no. We're trying to find somebody who either a has the proven track record of building a, a championship quality football team. Or B, I've heard some news that they're looking at uh, the, the VP player personnel from the Vikings, right? Who works with Rick Spielman, who the Vikings always draft pretty consistently well. Looking at people and looking at organizations that have a known track record of building a team from nothing. Because that's where you're at right now with this team, if we're being honest, right? Lots of holes on defense. You don't have any wide receivers under contract after next year or after this year. You got a lot of problems. So to identify people who know how to basically build a team from the ground up from nothing into something and and taking your shot at some of these guys because nobody at the beginning of the year sure thought that John Schneider could leave Seattle to come to Detroit there's no way that 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 was even a, and maybe it's still not but I can appreciate the fact the Lions are going out there and doing their due diligence and go what if Mm-hmm. Right? Are you available? Are you available to talk? Can we talk to you? What can we offer you? What what makes this job appealing to you? Because this GM job, this this job for Detroit is not appealing right now. The way this roster is built, it's not. With the salary cap probably going down, you're gonna have a hard time, especially if like a team with Jacksonville, who you've got multiple first round picks, you have the number one overall pick in the draft, you're probably gonna take Trevor Lawrence. You've got pieces to build on already. You got a young team. That's an attractive job if you're a head coach and a GM to go in there and go, man, I can impart my vision immediately, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Houston, Texas, you got Sean Watson, dude. There's pieces there. Like, you, you've got other, you know, this job is not as attractive as some others can possibly be. So, with that being said, the fact that they are willing to go out there and shoot over the moon and go, you know what? Let's go and see if he's available. Mm-hmm. If it happens, I'll probably have a small stroke. But I'm not. I'm. I'm going to give them as many props as possible because everybody wanted this. This search to be like, okay, you know, you told us two years ago that we've got the GM, we're going to get the head coach in place, and now we're going to be we're going to be contenders, and it completely blew up in our face. Now they're taking the okay. You know what? We are going to turn over every stone. We're going to leave nothing unturned, and we are going to find the right guy to take over this organization. So. Mm-hmm. Big props to Sheila Ford, big props to Chris Spielman, big props to Rod Wood because this kind of news for uh, the year that the Lions have had is the is some news that like inspires some sort of hope and confidence that in three years we could be a relevant football team again mm-hmm. rather than having to start all over. So makes me very excited for that, um, extremely, extremely excited. Hopefully next week we'll be able to talk um, some more head coaching interviews and some, some of that stuff. I think they're kind of waiting. I don't know. 
what the deal is as far as their the head coaching search. They haven't done a lot of it. I don't know if they're going to hire a GM first or a head coach. Do you have a preference necessarily, GM and head coach? Like, would you prefer them to hire a GM and then the GM be involved in that, or do you? Because like the Browns did the other way, right? Yeah. Oh, they hired Stefanski, and then Stefanski was in kind of on the GM interviews, um, which is kind of weird. I don't really have a preference. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of if I was to if I was like an owner, how would right, I want yeah. to do it? I'd probably do GM. Yeah, the then head coach, yeah. just because I think that you can, um, mm-hmm. you you just work like the GM usually makes all the decisions outside of a few, very few teams. The GM right. usually makes all the decisions, right. so the GM that picks the coach and it's like, hey, we have the same vision. All right, cool. Mm-hmm. Where if you do the head coach first and then you get a GM, but then if they don't like collude together, right. yeah. then it's kind of weird. So I would probably do GM head coach first. Yeah. But, I'm kind of sensing that's where they're going, yeah. honestly, despite the fact that they've done as many. And plus, it's kind of hard to interview a lot of coaches because they're in season stuff. Yeah. Um, but if they do head coach and then GM, it's not like the end of the world for me or anything. No. It's just not, be like, yeah, as, long as, as long as the GM and head coach work fine together, I don't yeah. care Gotta in any order or however you want to do it. For sure. And, and the, same, the philosophy has to be said, right? It's it's building Lions culture. That is that is the number one priority here is it is determining what are the Detroit Lions, right? You can't even with if they hired a John Schneider. It is not bringing Seattle Seahawks to Detroit and you're becoming the the Seattle Seahawks of the Detroit area. That is not the goal here. The goal is to develop your own ideas, your own ideologies and your own way of thinking in building a championship football team. It is not to try to you can take things from successful organizations. Everybody does, but to try to carbon copy it the way they did with New England, it's not going to work. It doesn't work for anybody. And we've seen it now across – Cleveland tried to do it with Kansas City, right? They hired John Dorsey thinking, okay, we're going to make all these moves, and it didn't work out the way they wanted to. So you have to find that balance between taking things that were successful in other organizations but also identifying who you are. What do you stand for? What do you prioritize? And we've seen it. Braden Coombs getting fired, right? That was a big shocker to a lot of us, right? J. Ron Kurse getting cut because he's violating team policy. That kind of stuff is like, all right, there's no more of this wiggle room. It's it's either you're on board or you're not. Mm-hmm. So um, very encouraging sign for me as a Lions fan. And if you are one, I know some people are like, well, it doesn't really matter because they'll screw it up anyway. And that's a fair assessment. But if you're looking at it from an objective point of view, you got to be excited and you have to at least be impressed by the fact that they're being as thorough as they are for this job. Mm-hmm. Well, have they hire? We'll criticize it then. <laughs> yeah. When we actually get the hire, they hire some dude who we've never heard of before. So looking forward to that. But that's going to be it for this week's show. Next week, hopefully, we're going to be talking about some head coaching positions. Um, who fits where? Where do we want to go? Uh, even potentially getting some more Lions news from the head coaching front as well. Uh, we have we don't have a lot of news on that, so I didn't want to cover it this week. We're going to be reviewing Wrestle Kingdom, New Japan's biggest show of the year, um, and then potentially some other things, but I don't know just yet. We'll have to keep you in, okay. in, in store. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as you can tell on this show, we are uber prepared. So. <laughs> but that's going to be it for this week's show. On behalf of the Missing Whale Man, he is the Merc Zone Mike Merkel, and I am the Mouth of Michigan Rob Medica, and we will see you guys, as always, next time.